Imagine it's a Monday morning, you walk into your office, you sit down in front of your computer, you know, you're trying to open your Revit model and nothing happens. Or you get an error message saying the file is inaccessible. Then you try to contact your IT and your IT takes a look. Then they understand that all the files on the server are basically rendered useless because they've been encrypted. Welcome back to the Troxel Podcast. I'm Evan Troxel. This is the podcast where I have a conversation with guests from the architectural community and beyond to talk about the co-evolution of architecture and technology. The content of this conversation is more on the, what I would say, underappreciated side of tech in the building industry, information technology. In this episode, I welcome Boris Rappaport and Alex Osinsenko of ArcIT. Boris has worked for over 17 years helping architectural design and engineering firms making their business more efficient and profitable with the use of technology. For the past four years, he has been running ArcIT, an IT services firm dedicated to helping architects realize technology as a competitive advantage for their firms. Alex Osinsenko is a partner and VP of growth at ArcIT. As a serial entrepreneur and a C-level executive in Silicon Valley, Alex focused his career on helping small businesses grow and thrive. He's passionate about education, and he and Boris co-host a video series called Design Under Influence. The show focuses on helping architects use technology as a competitive advantage, and there's a link to that show in the notes for this episode. ArcIT is something a little different than a typical IT department because it's basically IT as a service rather than one department embedded in one firm. They provide IT services specifically to small and medium-sized architecture, design, and engineering firms. In this episode, we start off talking about the security and privacy aspects of IoT devices when deploying them inside our practices and on the client side, cybercrimes and other threats targeting the weakest link, that is to say, people, the enormous rise in attacks including phishing and ransomware, particularly over the last two years due to the remote work situation, and what everyone can and should do today as their first line of defense to address the top three risk areas threatening our day-to-day security. This isn't a particularly sexy topic, but it's something we all need to hear and be reminded of. And another thing worth mentioning is that if you don't want to worry about all this stuff because your time is valuable and you should probably be working on the highest value items that you can instead of doing IT yourself, the good news is you can find someone who will do it on your behalf and keep your best interests at heart. So without further ado, I bring you Boris Rappaport and Alex Osinsenko. Boris and Alex, welcome to the show. It's great to have you both here. Pleasure to be here, Evan. Yeah, thanks, Evan. Great to be here. I'm excited because this conversation is something that is new to the show. This is all about information technology, security, privacy. This is more of like the backbone of of how we get our work done. And I'm excited to talk to you guys because you guys are both experts. You run your own IT company that serves many different practices, specifically in AEC. So you guys are are really tailoring 
you're offering to a particular market, which is, I think, the market of this audience as well. So I think like it's a good fit. And what I like is you guys bring a new perspective to, I, I think, what would be a more traditional IT role, which is very specific to a firm. You guys are seeing lots of stuff go down. You're seeing lots of standards and different ways of operating, and you're trying to bring some sense of continuity to all of that as you apply it across many firms. So it's this is going to be a fantastic conversation. I'm excited about it. Great. Looking forward to it, Evan. Yeah, we focus specifically on architecture firms because design and engineering as well because of the tech stack and very specific nature of operation, the heavy files, all of the things that go along with it. We found that we can do much better job if we kind of tunnel vision and just stay true to our sort of purpose and focus to help the architecture firms, you know, thrive and, and do their best work while we solve the IT. And so from that, we learn a lot. And part of it, we also share this on our own podcast or, you know, video series, we call it Design Under Influence. And this is where we share those nuggets. We're a little bit more technical and it's shorter episodes, but the idea is to share our learnings along the way and hopefully help people out there. Yeah, I'll include a link to your show and because I, I do find that you guys do cover a lot of Topics that we won't be able to get to today, but still fall under this realm of what do people actually need to be looking out for and how are people solving these issues? And I agree, Alex, with what you said about letting you guys take care of this so that architects can focus on the architecture. I think that's a fantastic way to kind of frame it. (laughs) Boris, anything to add to that? No, he said it perfectly. Yeah, I mean, we want to be your one-stop IT solution for your firm. And if, you know... If your size does not allow you to have an IT department, we're there for you. If you have an IT department, we can help with additional support there. Well, one of the things that's come up on this show several times before is, and a lot of people in the architecty community are thinking about the way that sensors and IoT integrates into their designs, what kinds of things we're tracking how we're using those to inform designs or even future designs or the way that somebody might even approach remodeling or a tenant improvement based on actual data. And I know that you guys deal with IoT kind of stuff all the time. And I was just wondering, you know, from a security and a privacy perspective, this is typically where I think about this stuff because working in the public realm of architecture that that I've spent my career doing it's a really touchy subject because of the types of clients my clients have. Thinking about the privacy and the security and the kinds of things that are being tracked, obviously these are very top of mind versus other private project kind of those those kinds of things are very different where they want to use the future value of that data so they see the benefit of it now when they're designing their projects. What's your guys experience with, you know, as an IT provider and a a service provider in that when it comes to architects capturing this data where they're storing it i mean i'm sure you even have personal stories about iot and the different things that could go very wrong with that so it's this i think this would be good to kind of arm the audience with ideas as just like an application to actual architectural projects up front here to get the conversation started if i'm coming to this from an it perspective Yes, I'm going to talk more about the actual implementation of these devices at either client offices or buildings. And what we find a lot is that the people who do the installations 
to not necessarily properly design the solution initially. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the implementation is not proper as well from a security perspective. For example, a lot of times these devices end up, you know, on the corporate side of the network where they're not isolated properly. And what happens with these devices as well is these are usually cheaper uh, kind of sensor type devices that have uh, very limited or usually free types of operating systems running on them. Like somebody would run a free version of Linux or something like that, where they're not they're not being always managed by the manufacturer after it's been deployed. And therefore, nobody understands if there's any security issues or security flaws. And a lot of times what happens is there's security vulnerabilities already in the operating system that nobody then touches uh, for a very, very long time. So this device is sitting out there. Yes, it's given us data that we're looking for, but it's also at the same time, it's talking to the internet, open on the internet, People can access it from the internet, right? And um, it becomes a security concern at that time. Like one of the examples happened actually in 2016. 2,500 of CCTV cameras got hijacked, you know, by this darknet game. And they, they were then used to attack other websites and other, other services on the internet um, and, you know, launch uh, denial of service attacks from these devices. So somebody own these devices, they got hijacked and then used in their attacks. So it just goes to show how insecure those things are. Yeah, it's incredible to think about. And, and I, the only re- one of the big reasons I wanted to bring it up is because I think there's a lot of architects out there specifying and, and they think it's a good idea. They see the value in collecting this data, but there is this other side to it that is, like you're saying, it, it could create vulnerability in the network, which could give full access to anybody who wanted to do like a ransomware attack to a a server system, which is your lifeblood in an architecture office, your files, that's, that's everything. (laughs) That's as far as your deliverables go right nowadays, that everything is sitting on top of that technology backbone to deliver the projects so that you can get paid and continue your business. So it's, it is something else to definitely bring up and have these conversations with experts about before you just go to your client and say, yeah, it's no problem. We can put sensors everywhere in your project. And it's something that should happen quite often. And and like you said, that's a 2016 story. And these things do get better over time. They do need firmware updates. They do need to be managed. And who's doing that? So that also might be another ask on the client side is because these things are not and they should not be approached as just a set it and forget it kind of a thing. They do need constant management and oversight moving forward. So Boris, remember how you were telling me uh, when you walked into a client with all those IoT devices being installed and you saw what? This was actually an architecture firm that was moving uh, offices and, you know, it's a hundred person firm and, you know, they're taking up the whole floor of the building. So they actually wanted to use some of the devices that they recommend in their projects. Uh, internally mm-hmm. um, and specifically around video camera security and also kind of temperature monitoring and motion sensing so they can kind of watch what the flow through, through through their spaces and i mean the installers who were doing the install were you know it, it was just basically contractors who were also doing the build out of the rest of the of the office so what you know me and the IT manager walk in one day and 
you know, we see all of those devices plugged into our network, right? Basically into our switches that are fully set on a corporate network. And so like no deployment plan that was vetted by anybody with any sense of security, right? Like just, just plug the stuff in and just let it go. Actually, we did. And we had a specific switch that was segregated, that was already preset. All they had oh, to man. do was plug in into where we told them. But, um, you know, when the installers did the work, they plugged it in, something didn't work. So then they just saw another, you know, bunch of open ports <laughs> and just plugged them in there. Because right? their goal is just to yeah. get it installed and say, and sign off on it. No matter what. So, so what happened there? <laughs> Uh, I mean, obviously, we had a conversation and everything got moved and everything then got properly secured. But, you know, this stuff happens all the time. And if you're not a technical person, right, you don't even pay attention until something bad happens down the line. It's a good point. And I'm glad you brought up kind of an architecture firm who wanted to take things that they were recommending to their clients and put it into play on themselves. Because you can learn a lot from yourselves by doing that and then make recommendations based on that but it doesn't mean i mean it has the same outcomes that we were talking about a minute ago which is you've still got to have a plan for that you can't just trust that you can plug these things in and everything's going to be fine from here on out and we never go back and visit that again or even come up with a plan to do it right the first time right so level one defense is really isolation those devices should not be on the corporate network or anywhere where uh, sensitive information is being stored yeah they should be on their own island, segregated from anything else, not talking to anything else except for the internet. And then, you know, the firewall rules need to be set. So only access that is required for that specific device to function is allowed. And then another thing that we see a lot is these devices, they just get put out there without any configuration because, you know, mostly it's supposed right. supposedly plug and play, but people don't even change default passwords on them, right? So... Make sure you change the default password if you're putting something out on the internet. I'm sure we'll get to passwords <laughs> at some point here. <laughs> so, so do you guys go? Do you offer this as a service to go into firms and do a security audit to actually look at things like this and other things to say, you know, here's some recommendations that you can do that would really make your system more secure. Yeah, definitely, and we do this these type of audits around IoT, but in general, we would, you know, work with the firm to walk in, take a look at all of their secure uh, technology and security infrastructure. And then based on our findings, make recommendations on how to make their business safer. And then also how to remediate some of these things we just talked about. And what are the kinds of things that you guys are looking at in those situations? Because I, I know there's, there's going to be things that people say, it's obvious to me just based on what we've heard so far, but I'm sure there's like, oh, I don't need that. I, or or that doesn't sound like that's something I need. What are the kinds of things that you are looking for that you can kind of vet and take the experience that you've gained as a whole with all of the different firms that you work with and represent to apply to somebody who hasn't worked with you before? Well, I think we start with just the best practices. And we're going to get into more details down the line, but it's, you know, security around email, security around protecting your endpoints, meaning your devices, your computers, your mobile devices uh, from internet issues and internet threats. And then best practices around passwords and whether their password change is required, whether they're complex enough, are we using different passwords for different services? Do we have electronic password management in place? So 
lot of that too. I mean, that's kind of at the basic level, but we go deeper into just application security, for example, or server security, or making sure that, you know, if you are providing services to the outside world, like some of the larger firms still do, right? On-premise servers that people need to access from outside, Mm -hmm. that that remote access is properly secured so that nobody can just, just go in and access the information there there was a story from from the firm that i was at that there was a machine down in the the shop room and this machine was controlling a laser cutter and that laser cutter was connected to the machine over a parallel port so you can imagine the age that this machine was it was running windows 95 right (laughs) and it was connected to the internet via the network it was a huge issue that nobody even thought of because it was down in the room that barely anybody went into, let alone use this machine. It's just a a machine that's kind of aged out as people don't create physical models as much anymore. So yeah, sure, every once in a while it would get booted up and get used, but it was far and few between, which just the only reason I bring it up is because people thought about it even less than they would think about something that, you know, maybe they saw a machine every day. This one, nobody saw (laughs) for the most part. And it was like, we have to buy a new laser cutter just to upgrade the computer it's connected to. <laughs> but these are the kinds of things that people don't necessarily think of in day-to-day practice when it comes to the integrity of their network and the machines that they're using because it's so out of sight, out of mind. But those do exist. Yeah, definitely. And that also goes back to you know the IoT device conversation that we had because a lot of times what we find like these types of machines, there's a machine in the corner somewhere right. that basically controls the security system, right? Or it's like an X, you know, XP. It's, I'm not going to go as far back as 95, but like Windows XP machine that cannot be upgraded because the software is not supported on the later right. one. So we need to upgrade the whole thing. And yeah, or HVAC system, same thing. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of those those ransomware attacks getting through the HVAC system control. It's yeah. incredible. A lot of these things are important to keep lock down and go through with your IT provider or some company like ourselves. But at the end of the day, you know what the biggest threat is like by far? People. People. Right. <laughs> it's it's our behaviors, it's our susceptibility to you know to help other people, our empathy. And a lot of these internet scammers are play on our good nature. You know, I'm sure you have seen emails. If you haven't, you will. Like, hey, your CEO is out there in Beirut and they need money immediately or right. or even something. So that those things are easier to spot. What's more difficult to spot is, I think, what is called a social engineering. And we have a really good story for that. Uh, that happened to a company where we got called in to go clean that up. And Boris, you want to? Sure. So we got called in and this was... April of 2020. So just as everybody went home for COVID, we got called in from an acquaintance of mine and it's a real estate firm. So we got called in because they thought that they might have just lost uh, $1.2 million. And the IT manager is a friend of mine. So he's like, can you take a look at it? I can't make sense of this. So as I'm helping him out, I'm trying to understand what happened. And what actually happened is the bad guys got into a mailbox on one of the contractors, project managers, right? They got into their mailbox and they were sitting there, what it seems like for a fairly long time, maybe a month or two months or even three months. Wow. And they were just monitoring all the stuff that was going on. 
as soon as we kind of, we went home for COVID, I think that's when they activated that campaign. So basically like a week after, you know, middle of March, like I think it was towards the end of March, they sent the first email to this client of mine, right? Or the friend of mine. And they were targeting not, the, you know, not the regular people on the project, but uh, like an administrative assistant. And they send an email with the signature, you know, from this project manager's mailbox. Everything looked the same, except what we noticed later that the main name had a dash in it. So they set up a fake domain mm. with a dash and used that to send that those emails. And the email basically said, look, you know, you have some outstanding invoices. You know, we're closing down for COVID. We need to pay our people. We don't know what's going to happen. Can you pay your invoices right away? On the other side, the administrative assistant got it. And she's like, well, it seems valid request, right? And forwarded on to her uh, superior who was in charge of the project. It might have raised the flag that was if it was coming directly from the outside for him. But now that it was coming from the inside, right, he kind of didn't give it too much thought too, although he did a little bit and he wanted to verify. But what he did is send an email back saying, Hey, yeah, can we get on a call just to confirm that this is you or, you know, and and the bad guys obviously just gave a cell phone number because they said, oh, yeah, the offices are closed, but here's my cell phone number that you can reach me at. Then he got on the phone, talked to the bad guys who said, yeah, we confirmed this is about. Right. And yeah, eventually they, <laughs> uh, you they know, did. they they wired the money. Wow. Wow. And we see those like there are statistics out there. I'm sure many people in your audience have heard of those statistics, but. Like from March 2020 till end of 2020, the cybersecurity incidents went up fourfold compared to wow. the previous year, right? Yeah. And this year it's even more. Incredible. So what are some things, like where do, where do people start with this? Because it's, an, it's amazing the amount, the level of detail to which these things, but that is exactly what happens. This is happening, like you said, it's four times as bad as it was two years ago, or even more than that. And it's because everybody got distributed. Everybody's kind of putting stuff together with Band-Aids and duct tape. Do we VPN or not? Uh, can I install Dropbox on my machine? Sure, go ahead. There's all of these things that it is pretty much like it was the Wild West. I'm sure things have tightened up since you know everybody went home originally. But it was kind of a just day-to-day. Let's just make it work day-to-day. And because of that, there were a tons of holes that were open. So Let's say that let's let's say that we're there because I'm sure a lot of people haven't really thought about, you know, the strength of their passwords or how they use their email. I think everybody's being inundated with this stuff. So where do people start today with like what are the top risk areas? To answer your question, Evan, I think uh, we need to, you know, piggyback off of our employees being our weakest link mm-hmm. and you know, make sure that we have cybersecurity training for for the people that work with us and you know for our team pause right there real quick because i think this has to be brought to the company from the leadership this is not something that any leadership can expect people to learn on their own and even if they do everybody's going to learn something different so it's got to be something intentional designed for your company specifically around your standards and where you want things to go. And I know you guys can help with that. So yeah, it seems like training, this is something that is a must. This isn't something that is like a like to have or a nice to have. This is a must have kind of a place to start. Yes, definitely. And it can take different forms. I mean, there's services that do it automatically, right? By just sending 
test emails to your people and seeing how they react mm -hmm. and then following up with, you know, videos that they need to watch based on those. There's companies like ours where, you know, we have specific set. When we were in the office, we used to have lunch and learns. Now we do remote sessions, right? Also lunch and learns where we talk to employees about the levels of threat that are out there and reminding them again of best practices. Because in reality, if we just follow some simple best practices that we take for granted, like we can get to 95% mitigation mm, right there. And 95% is pretty good. The one thing I've done, and it's 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 the culture piece, right? So as a business, you know, owner or principal or, or an executive, you know, there's just so much going on. Like yeah. security, like I, I have deliverables up to my eyeballs. Right. You know, my people are at home. You know, my, my, my wife is, you know, is, is, is working from home as well. You know, there's a million things going on. The one thing we've done culturally for my last business is we celebrated when nothing went wrong. It's, it sounds <laughs> odd, but it really, it really worked. We're doing weekly happy hours. And my co-founder at the time and I, and we, were, we, we would raise a cup, a tea, whatever, to, hey, nothing went wrong this week from IT breakages perspective, from hacking perspective. And we ran a marketing company. It was a 30-employee marketing company. So it wasn't huge, but hey, you know, we had issues. And because how hard those issues hit us, you know, we started celebrating nothing went wrong. And I think it became kind of part of the culture and where people can like be present and mindful that, hey, this is, this is a gift. Nothing went wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, let's keep going that way. Yeah, that's, it's a win. that's that's hilarious and yet very appropriate <laughs> because, yeah, I mean, it uh, celebrating when when, you know, once you kind of get an idea of what could go wrong, if you if you work at a company that does get hit by a ransomware attack or, you know, via phishing or whatever, and you do identify some some holes. But but man, that's a huge, huge downtime time suck that happens all of a sudden. Your files are being held hostage you don't want to pay any ransom because you don't you don't want to want to give them the satisfaction of of conquering you and then all of a sudden you go into recovery mode and uh, how many days or how many weeks and how many people's productivity goes down the drain i mean once you live through that you realize how important it is to actually celebrate that nothing happened and and you can hopefully do that if you just start with these basics so can you give some examples of what what are what are a couple things somebody could do today to start to mitigate these kinds of risks? I'll start with email security. And many companies right now uh, for email are using hosted services like Microsoft Office 365 mm -hmm. or Google G Suite service, which is great. And those services come with its own security and spam filtering. A lot of times the basic kind of the basic license that you get without the advanced security licensing doesn't cover the attacks that we talked about. So there's advanced uh, threat protection mm -hmm. for your email. So it could be an additional purchase from whoever is already providing your email. Or you can go with an outside service like Mimecast or Proofpoint that allows for those additional protections to happen. And that is very useful. Um, in addition to that, those services also include like URL uh, filtering, right? So if you get a bad message, it gets put in the sandbox, checked, and then you can only click on it. So that would be my recommendation around email. Also, as I said, training, 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 showing your people what phishing messages look like will really go a long way uh, for them to understand what to look for in those things. 
for our clients, we ask them. If you're not 100% sure that this is a safe message, just forward it to us and we'll tell you if you should click on it. If we're looking at internet threats, there's a lot more there. One of the things is you want to make sure you have URL filtering on your computer, right? So a service that would basically look at the sites you're going to and kind of check if there's if there's any, I guess, bad files or bad bad sites that you're being redirected to. Because a lot of times what happens is you'd go just to your you know, Yahoo email and there's an ad that runs in it. The bad guys put some code in that ad and then you get redirected to another place completely different. That tries to basically tell you, okay, you're infected with the virus and you call the number. Right. Um, right. And they try to get you to pay $500. So they just close your browser window. Right, right. And it's funny because one of these things very similar happened to my wife. She had an eBay account and she had a dispute with eBay. It turns out, which she didn't know at the time, that eBay doesn't have any phone support. Mm-hmm. It all has to be done through chat. But, you know, her first reaction was, hey, I'm just going to search Google for eBay phone support. And she did. And she found the number and she started talking to this person and basically explained the situation. And then the person asked her to install, and she was doing it from her phone. The person asked her to install remote control software on her phone. And, you know, she didn't think twice about it. I, was, I think we, we, we don't think about it until it happens, and then we kind of know, right? Yeah. So she didn't think about it. She let him access to the phone, and he's like, okay, well, hey, you know, I see you have, because the question was about some payment, and she's like, yeah, you're talking about a Wells Fargo account, but I only see a Chase account on your phone. Well, let's get into your Chase account, right? And at that time, thank God we had two-factor authentication, I got a notification on my phone that somebody's trying to access my account and that I need to give them a code. And, you know, she was downstairs. I was upstairs. Then I went to her. I'm like, what are, what are you trying to do? And she explained it to me. And I'm like, well, they shouldn't be doing that, right? And I talked to the guy and uh, he's basically, oh, no, you know, your wife's phone is infected with a virus. And I'm like, no, there's no virus on the phone. And he's like, oh, yes, there is. And he basically told me to go to this link, which is a simulation of, like a world, you know, like a world map that has like dots and wires. That I think it's a simulation of, you know, that movie with Matthew Broderick. Oh, War Games. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's actually I think that's where that comes from, and it kind of shows on the screen as you know your phone is being bombarded with these things. Oh my gosh! He's like, see that red dot? That's your phone. And I'm like, oh my god, no! And I just hung up. <laughs> uh, you know, we wiped her phone and un- uninstalled the apps and everything. But I was like. Wow. It can happen to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. It can happen to anybody. And it's basically, it has to be a mindset of looking both ways when we cross the street. I mean, same thing. Like if we're doing something on the internet, we need to be really, really kind of careful. It needs to become second nature. And what happens in a lot of, a lot of these things, uh, the bad guys would buy Google ads, right? So, you know, they'll show up on top of the page for any given search term, and they're pretty, pretty clever in terms of what search terms they're going to... In this particular case for Boris, they're like, okay, for, you know, eBay customer support. service eBay. Wow. Yeah, eBay support. And they somehow squeeze through um, Google AdWords filters because Google AdWords actually has to approve the ads. So somehow they find ways uh, to to circumvent, and voila, you, you search for something, the first thing you click on if you're not paying attention it's going to be the ad well and and honestly who can pay attention that to me that that's what really sets this to be very real for just about anybody is like there are so many distractions out there we have been 
programmed to see all these distractions. They're constantly bombarding us. We're we're just drowning in them. And like you said, what happens when a when an end user license agreement pops up on your screen? You hit accept. You're mm-hmm. conditioned to click on the thing that gets you there fastest because you know like there's a trade-off of how much time I'm willing to spend sifting through information versus hoping that, you know, Google actually did reply with the best thing at the top. I mean, we, we've gone through years and years of conditioning and training to click on those exact things. And how can we be really aware of that when we've got stuff going on at home, we've got stuff going on on the project, we've got all these other pressures and, and, and things that are very real that are that are taking up a ton of our mind share so to think like this won't happen to me, like it, it happens to everybody. Like, and that to me is where the training, the very intentional setting of <laughs> resetting of passwords time and time again. So you can keep this stuff like these are the basic things that you just have to. They're, they're the very basic cost of doing business nowadays. Yeah. And going to your password point. So kind of the next step and protecting yourself is making sure that you have those types of password policies in place for your enterprise, right? Yes, it may be initially a little bit more time consuming for your people to change their passwords once every three months. Well, we live in an industry where old habits die hard. Like nobody wants to move on to the next thing, let alone like change their password, right? And and so they're, they're using one, two, three, four as their password still because that was what they set up 15 years ago. But But to your point, like, have you guys come up with a good way to get that mind shift, mindset shift to happen inside of firms to get people to, like you said, it might be hard in the beginning, but then you kind of get used to it. But that initial hump is a big one, getting over that initial hump. If you guys had success or, or ways to, to get people to kind of see the light there or to get that behavior to change on a, in an easier way. I mean, I wish we had a lot more success. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's where like, you know, show like yours and, us being here, I think that helps a lot. Getting these stories out there so that people can understand or at least get it back into their mind. Because out of sight, out of mind, I understand that. But if we can put it back and kind of make people think about these things and re-raise awareness of these things, that should kind of slowly play to change the mindset. And yes, we do similar things inside our clients too. When we do these trainings, we share these stories and we we want to make sure that everybody understands how important that is. And I think once that happens, then it becomes easier to make you know, the changes we're talking about. Not always easy, but easier. Can you give an example of kind of the scope of a ransomware attack? Give people an idea of, of what normal firms are up against when it comes to like how much they're asking for what are the outcomes like what what do people actually go through because i think everybody's heard of another firm having a ransomware attack maybe their firm has suffered a ransomware attack but not all the details even get shared can you share kind of what it's like to go through something like that well imagine it's a monday morning you walk into your office you sit down in front of your computer you know you're trying to open your Revit model, and nothing happens. Or you get an error message saying the file is inaccessible. Mm-hmm. Then you try to contact your IT, and your IT takes a look. Then they understand that all the files on the server are basically rendered useless because they've been encrypted overnight. Or you know, It happened at some point when nobody was looking. Right? Mm-hmm. 
what do you do? I mean, your business basically cannot function outside of maybe some units here and there. Mm-hmm. But as a whole, it cannot function anymore because your files are are not accessible. I mean, that's that's really a nightmare scenario, mm-hmm. right? As a business owner myself, like I, I don't see how we can how we can prevail after something like this happens. Yeah, how do you recover from that, right? So, I mean, next steps are obviously, hopefully, and that's my recommendation for everybody as well. Um, you have cyber insurance as well. I think cyber insurance nowadays is a very important thing to have. Kind of side note, uh, one of people in my network is an insurance representative also rep- working with AEC firms. And he's like, last year alone, uh, just the stuff I dealt with, the cyber claims, it was the first year that the cyber claims outdid the professional liability claims. Like it was the first year where they had more cyber claims than professional liability claims. And that just goes right along with your earlier statistic about the rate of increase in this type of thing that's going on. Yeah. So, so going back to that, you you know, you would contact your cyber insurance company and let them know that an incident has happened. I think that would be the first thing you'd want to do. Um, Usually with these policies, you have a person uh, from the insurance company side that can help you contact the bad guys and try to negotiate. You'll be in peril to everything else you do. They'll try to negotiate with the bad guys to see if you can, you can lower the ransom or, you know, try to get your files back. Mm -hmm. Now that also kind of has its own consequences because depending on the size of the ransom and whether you pay a ransom or not, FBI can kind of get after you for helping these criminals. Right. So oh, if you wow. pay, decide to pay a ransom, then FBI can be like, well, you're helping the criminals or helping terrorists. Because in reality, I mean, these people are terrorists, like mm-hmm. they're terrorized citizens. It's your livelihood, right, that they've taken over. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that you have to be careful on that side, too. But let's say you're not proceeding with paying the ransom. And also, if you pay the ransom, the statistics are you get about there's 50 50 chance that you get your files back. Because okay. sometimes they give you a key and it doesn't work. It's not like. You know they're giving you technical support. Well, and and just to they're they're not just looking at you, right? They're they're how many other companies are they doing this at the same exact right. time to exactly. every single day, right? So what are the chances they're going to give you the wrong key? Like it's really high, and do they care? No, exactly. So they're not providing technical support uh, on the other side of the ransom. Right. That's, <laughs> that's a fantastic I, comment. Actually, they and so and I can retract that a little bit because sometimes they do, they help you. Like if you decide to pay them, they will walk you through buying Bitcoin, right. And sending it to them. Right. So that's also kind of interesting caveat there, but yeah. So let's decide, let's just assume you're not deciding to pay the ransom. You would want to try to recover your files, right? Your IT department or your IT consultants, your IT firm you're working with will need to figure out a way to recover your files. Now, hopefully you have good backups. A lot of times we see, especially when it's companies that were that are doing their own IT, they don't have good backups. Uh, they don't have processes in place to check whether the backup is good or not. I mean, it's backing up. You get alerts on it, but nobody actually goes in and tries to recover the files to see if they can be recovered. If you want to put something in place right now, that strategy of kind of checking every week to see if you can recover files is very important. Mm. So you would go through a process of trying to recover files. Depending on the number of files you have, it could take days, you know, probably... Usually, if you're a mid-sized firm that has, you know, like 30 to 40 active projects, to get all those projects back up, you're probably looking at four to seven days of downtime. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you as a firm? I mean, that's a lot of lost revenue. Yeah, it's huge. And stress and, you know, deadlines missed. 
you know, making sure that you have the preventative part in place beforehand, mm-hmm. like doing all these best practices and the advanced uh, things we talked about. Yes, it's going to take a little bit of investment from time, training. Maybe some people are uncomfortable with that, but it will definitely save you a lot of money on the back end. Yeah, it, it, is, it can't really be understated, the kind of insurance aspect of being proactive about this stuff rather than reactive. Because if it catches you flat-footed, like you said, it really hurts, and it hurts for days, if not weeks. You do miss a lot of deadline. It's just it's such a painful, painful thing to go through. And it's it's one thing to hear somebody else go through it and probably think, well, that won't happen to us. Like, what are the chances? But like you said, like the rate at which this has increased is is huge. And this is just one part of of IT. There's so many other pieces of IT and how we get our work done and how we deliver our projects and how we transfer files and all of the different protocols that are that are changing and keeping your fingers on the pulse of all that stuff that that people who are in the business of architecture it this is outside of that lane this is all outside of that lane so i think it really does kind of speak to the value that let the experts who cover this piece of the puzzle be the experts i mean i think firms are kind of struggling with this in a lot more ways than it who are especially the medium to large size firms that are looking at you know, you're bringing in people from other companies all the time that there's churn, right? And and they have different protocols and different ways of doing things. And you've that, that training needs to be constantly happening and it needs to be very proactive because I even, I, I take issue with the, the, the phishing training emails that go out there because it, it's all about like slapping people on the hands who accidentally click the link or, or not, maybe not accidentally, but they're the ones who click the link. And then it's like, oh, well, look at this idiot over here. They click the link. It's that to me is, is still a very reactive. It might start to give you a feeling of, of how ready your employees are to handle this kind of thing. But at the same time, it's still kind of on the reactive side of the scale, I would say, when it comes to training or f- looking for, for holes. So it can't be understated how important this is. The good news is it's just like anything else, Evan. It's a system, right? Anything within the business, that this needs to be systemized and executed at the system level. Mm-hmm. The, the, the challenge with a lot of business owners, as, you, as we keep beating this down, it's like it's out of sight, out of mind, so it ain't happening, and I'm not going to be the one to get hit, uh, you know, we got have this, we kind of have that, so we, we may be okay. This is the dangerous mindset, right? Put the system in place, a little bit of suffering during the system, and then once that system is in place, you know, you can sleep at night. Yeah. You can do your best work. Yeah, I think that's that's something great to keep coming back to. If you do all that stuff, then you get to actually do stuff that matters, <laughs> right? Because then that is not taking up space in your brain it's not taking up space in your day it's not on your calendar it's it's not tasks that you have to accomplish or skills that you have to learn you can do what you're actually good at and what you were trained for and let the people who are really good at that stuff augment you and your company to do that as well as that can be done so i think that that's a great place to come back to so you guys have developed a resource. You guys have an ebook that that you've developed that people could download for free and learn about kind of these best practices. And that's really what I think it's a great starting point to kind of back up the types of solutions that we've begun to scratch the surface in today's conversation. Right. We looked at constantly having to train our clients and constantly be there 
and reminding all the, the team members that these threats exist and, hey, here's a simple thing, simple steps, uh, simple processes. Then we're just wait, basically what we did was to put it together into a cybersecurity guide for architects and we have it as a free downloadable. Um, it, it essentially has the three parts we just covered, but we also added a Wi-Fi security because if you're in an airport and there's a free Wi-Fi, should you jump on it? Well, this guide answers that question and what to do if you jump on it, you know, how to sort of keep yourself uh, safe and protected. Because a lot of times we're working while we're mobile mm-hmm. and absolutely that is a thing to look at. So this this guide, we've also now that we had the guide, like, okay, so guide is great uh, read. But when you pointed out, Evan, like, how do you actually make your team, your employees go through this? And so we've built a course on, on Learn Worlds. And all of this is accessible. Uh, it'll be in the show notes, but it's getarchit.com forward slash TRXL. Those resources are available there. Again, no cost. Uh, just you know, share your email and download and have your whole team take the course. Take it first yourself. Do the quizzes. See how you do. And, it, and then propagate it throughout the organization. Yeah. And again, like just to, to say, this is it's a resource that you can use to kind of check your own pulse on where what you think you know and and then actually act on that with resources that are available that are out there and and thank you guys for providing those because i think that those are valuable they do help us bring this to the front of our mind and and basically tell us once again how important this stuff is because we are on some level you know especially work from home everybody became a little bit more responsible for their own it on some level and that to me is a big scary thing. Like I think about, like I don't only have to worry about mine, but then my, my wife's on the other side of the wall working in Revit, and she's got Revit questions. And guess who gets to be the the BIM manager of our of our house? Right, that's me too. <laughs> and so I'm IT and BIM manager and internet guy and all of these things. And and I think everybody feels that to some extent. So it's great to bring this conversation back up fresh and get people thinking about this. So, and thank you guys for developing some resources where I don't have to sift through YouTube on my own to find some answer that's going to be different from the other video that I could have clicked on. Thank you, Evan. I appreciate uh, you hosting us. And, and I hope this, 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 this sort of helps you. And look, if you have your, your own IT provider, that's fantastic. Pick up a phone, give them a call and see what they've been doing for you. And, Sometimes they may have tried to ask you to do certain things and some of your team said no. But, you know, reach out to your IT provider and see what they have, um, what sort of security measures, measures you have in place. Kind of go through that system to keep your, your company, your team, your people protected. And then if by any chance you need help with IT, you know, get Arc IT, we're happy to help. Uh, we solve IT so, you know, architects can focus on doing their best work. That's kind of our motto. That's what we do. Awesome. Well, thanks again, and I, I encourage everybody to thank their IT provider because they're doing a lot of work behind the scenes that you don't have to do. And uh, you know, send them send them a gift card, do something nice for them because they deserve it, and uh, I'm sure they'll save your butt at some point. <laughs> and uh, you know, they're a valuable piece of the business as well. So this is this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you guys for doing this with me today and then providing all this these great stories like these are real world examples of things that have actually happened to people and i think that helps us be able to apply these lessons to ourselves and see where we need to do a little bit of work um, so that we can engage the right people to do the bulk of the work and keep us safe and 
keep us delivering our projects whenever they need to be delivered and, and not uh, at the mercy of, of some ransomware attack or some point into our system that we can't get back easily. So thanks, guys, for hanging out today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Evan. Thank you for having us. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Please remember that you can download the guide and course that we talked about during the episode from getarcit.com slash trxl. That's G-E-T-A-R-C-H-I-T dot com slash T-R-X-L. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A dot com. You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out and, of course, share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast, where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for E. Troxel. Talk to you soon. Hold up. 